the goal of it is to make these low-income areas not low-income anymore. Because the number one thing that has an impact on someone's lifespan is the zip code that they live in. You know, if you make the place that they live better, people are going to live longer and more fulfilled lives. So the goal would certainly be to make that zip code better and then redesignate another zip code as a place that's deserving of investment. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. Grateful and excited to be here today with another awesome guest. We got Barrett Lindbergh all the way from sunny Texas. How are you doing this morning, Barrett? Doing great. Yeah, it's, it's not so sunny. It finally got cold in Texas where we sometimes experience four seasons in one week. And it seems like we might <laughs> hit that this week. It's pretty crazy, right? The weather has been unpredictable this season, but it's definitely good to have you on the show. Great to finally connect. And we've been Twitter and, and LinkedIn friends for quite a while. And I've been following your journey for a couple of years now. I first came across you on the, I believe on the Tax Smart Real Estate Investors podcast with, with Brandon Hall and Tom Costelli. Those guys are amazing. And you're just sharing a tremendous amount in the real estate development space. Specifically, what has become your niche is the opportunity zones, which has been a, which if you're not aware of what that is, our listeners, we're going to dive deep into that today's episode. But before we get into that, Bear, I'd love to just give our listeners a little background on who you are, what you do. Sure. And yeah, I've appreciated all the back and forth with you because uh, as we'll get into opportunity zones and, and cost seg and bonus depreciation, there's a lot of interplay between those. Mm -hmm. and, and Madison, your company has actually done work for me over the years. So appreciate you having me on and, and getting to chat with you this morning. Okay. But my background, I've been in real estate since I got out of college in 2005. So I started as a commercial mortgage broker. I was first an analyst working on hotels and triple net and apartments. And then I graduated from being an analyst. I was a manager of analysts. And then I went on commission as a mortgage broker, mostly working on apartments. And then the GFC happened. So I was a commission mortgage broker who didn't make any commission, but stuck it out, stayed in the business. Mentor explained, hey, you can go get another job and something else and you'll start at the bottom again, or you can stick this out and network and try and make your way, build your network during this downtime in the cycle. And if you do that, when things start to come back, you'll be in a rare position, which is being a young guy in the industry when there aren't many young guys in the industry with a good network. And and that came true in, in 2010, 11, 12, when there were green shoots, I was one of the few guys who was there to benefit from that. And it was off to the races from there. Not only did I start making money as a mortgage broker, but also started buying buildings as we saw prices start to come back. First one was an eight unit building I bought with my wife and, and my mother-in-law was the equity. And then we bought a 13 unit building and all these were in Dallas and value add renovation projects. And so after the eight unit, 13 unit, then we bought a 65 unit, then we bought 116 units and, and just slow organic growth. but. Now I look back over a decade 
And that's been almost 2000 units of renovation and development. And that's amazing. Yeah, it hasn't just been my mother-in-law as the equity. Uh, it's been like a lot of friends and family and their friends and family. So it's been a lot of fun and almost 20 years in the business. And it, it's really been fulfilling. That's awesome. And I think it's really important to realize a lot of people hear about real estate investing or, or real estate development and think it's just like a pipe dream. Like it's so difficult to get into, but really having a, a course starting out in some aspect, whatever it is in a real estate firm, whether it's a mortgage, or I also did some commercial mortgage broking for a little while as well. And when I first started out, and it's a great opportunity to just learn the business and learn the industry, learn the terminology. And there's a lot of jargon that's thrown around in commercial real estate, but that gives you kind of a step into this world that would otherwise be totally foreign. And it's amazing how you can, from that, just go from one thing to the next. Now, like you said, a few thousand units later, it's just amazing to look back on. Yeah, I think there's a million ways to make money in commercial real estate. But if your ultimate goal is to be on the ownership side, what I recommend people focusing on is getting a job that allows you to understand the numbers and the underwriting as well as the sticks and bricks of mm. how do these buildings work? Mortgage brokerage did that for me and I think does it really well for all kinds of people. But to an extent, CostSeg does that as well. You're understanding what, what are the capital expenditures? What are the numbers behind this? But then you also, even more so than almost anywhere else, have to understand the sticks and bricks and what each piece of that building is. But any job that allows you to see both sides of the equation, not just working behind a spreadsheet, right. is really important if you want to be on the ownership side of engine. 100%. Now, I want to talk a little bit. We mentioned the opportunity zones in the introduction here. And I want to get into that a little bit now because opportunity zones is was a new law that was basically put into place with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2017 and essentially allows owners or investors in real estate or really investors in general to capitalize on a tax benefit from deferring or eliminating capital gains tax, which is something that is obviously when people think about wealth building, capital gains is one of those things that really deters wealth building more than almost anything else. If you're making money, but then you have to pay tax every time you make not just income, but even a profit from a sale, whether it's stocks or crypto or businesses or what have you, it's it's challenging. Tell us a little about how opportunity zones were introduced and what the real benefit is before we get into the, you know, the kind of the nitty gritty of how you're using that with the real estate development aspect of it. Sure. So th this program is pretty interesting in that it's a rare bipartisan <laughs> supported program in Washington, D.C. So one group of folks says, we love this thing. It's a tax cut right? And full stop, it's a right. tax cut. And, and then this other group of folks says, we love this program because it's supporting low-income communities. And then there's a moderate group that says, like, it does it all. It incentivizes a behavior in an appropriate manner. So it, it gives people a benefit for doing something that's altruistic, but also gives them the, the appropriate financial incentive for doing something that's good. So how does it do that? It takes people who have had a capital gain and it says, if you invest for a long period of time in a certain part of the country, then ones, you right? get 
<laughs> yeah, then you get big financial benefits. So what happened is in 2018, 8,700 census tracts throughout the country, so they're everywhere, uh, were designated as opportunity zones. So that was done because governors in each state were allowed to designate census tracts, low-income census tracts, uh, based on the 2010 census data. So it's now almost 2024, and it's been 14 years since the data was used to designate those census tracts. So some of them have vastly changed. Mm -hmm. Some of them are still low income. And a lot of that depends on which governor did it and how right. they did it. In some states, they said, I'm going to take the very most low income census tracts, and those are my opportunity zones. Others were much more real estate friendly. And they said, I'm going to pick the low-income census tracts that are in the path of progress. And, mm -hmm. and those are the ones. And some of them were somewhere in the middle. But the bottom line is there were census tracts that were chosen to be opportunity zone. And if someone with a capital gain invests there, they get tax benefits for making long-term patient investment. And so what are those benefits? So now hopefully you sold something this year and had a capital gain. Right. Let's say that it was Apple stock. And you sold some Apple stock and you had a $100,000 capital gain. There's no way for you to get any type of special tax treatment on that unless it was in a retirement account, mm -hmm. right? If it was in a 401k or one of your kids' 529 accounts or something like that, great, it's tax protected. But if it's just in your normal investment account, then you're paying tax next April, full stop. But now you have this tool called Opportunity Zone Investment. And if you invest in an Opportunity Zone fund, you no longer owe that tax in April of 2024. You now can defer that tax bill until April of 2027. That's a calendar date. It's not a number of years. It's due in April of 2027. So that's benefit number one is an interest-free loan from the government. That's also the smallest tax benefit for Opportunity Zone Investing. The much larger tax benefits come from a 10-year investment in the OZ fund. And that goes back to the program's meant to incentivize long-term patient investing in these areas. And so the 10-year benefit is a step-up in basis. The only other time you get a step-up in basis is when you die. Right. <laughs> so the IRS said, here's the biggest tax benefit that we can give you. We give it to you when you die. But now you get it through Opportunity Zone Investing. So what does that mean? It means if you hold an asset for 10 years, that when you sell it after a 10 or more year holding period, you don't owe any tax on the capital gain. That's number one. Number two, and this is where you come in, you can depreciate it using a cost segregation study and bonus depreciation throughout that 10-year hold period. And when you do, you get to take a bunch of losses, Yeah, which I'm sure that you've done a bunch of podcasts on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but in a normal real estate investment, at the end of your hold period, you have to recapture those depreciation losses. Correct. An investment after a 10-year hold period, you do not have to recapture any of those losses. So those depreciation losses become much more like a tax credit mm. rather than just some interim loss that has to be recaptured. Um, so it's really beautiful. Then there's a whole nother level where you can, you know, use the refinance proceeds and cash flow to actually buy more assets. And then you don't have to recapture depreciation on those. You don't have to pay capital gains taxes on those. 
like you would want to grow a 401k account in a tax advantaged way. But it's a really great tax structure for a for someone who is is tax smart and very long term patient investor. Mm-hmm. We've seen investors like hedge fund guys, private equity, um, who take their short term and long term gains every year and they're plowing them into OZ just because it's so darn tax efficient. Right. And it really makes a heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. There, you just listed off a bunch of really amazing tax advantages with the opportunity zones. And I think the most amazing thing that you mentioned there about the recapture tax is there's almost no other way to completely eliminate recapture tax unless you are continually reinvesting and just deferring and getting more losses, et cetera, to offset those gains. And that's something that combining the opportunity zone investing with cost segregation, bonus depreciation is just, it's like unbelievable. Uh, obviously, you have to be doing this for a long period of time. And interestingly enough, this 10-year period hasn't, hasn't yet elapsed, right? We're, we're still in the fifth year of this, of this cycle, right? Because the opportunity zones were invented in, uh, in 2017, 2018. So it's really new. And so we've yet to see the actual fruition uh, of those deferments but, or elimination of those taxes. But I guess in five years' time, people will start to be uh, screaming from the rooftops if they haven't already yet about the Opportunity Zones, and which is, interestingly enough, the acronym Opportunity Zones is OZ, right? So you, we've quipped that you're like the Wizard of Oz, right? The person who's telling about this more than, than almost anyone else, at least on, on the, in the Twitterverse, the Xverse, whatever you want to call it now. One of the things that is necessary in the law, again, there's a lot of, it's a tax law, and so there's a lot of intricacies that go into how, what you need to do how it needs to be fulfilled, et cetera. And one of those things that piqued my curiosity is the requirement of essentially reinvesting into that asset or redeveloping uh, that asset to the equal amount uh, of the basis that it was acquired for. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because obviously, this it's not just about buying property. It's about redeveloping. It's about doing new construction, buying land and building. Because the incentive that obviously this was introduced for, was to help build communities and help incentivize people to put money into communities that need need work, need redevelopment. And so that's, I'd love to hear from you how you've used that. Obviously, you started off as a developer and using this kind of, whereas other people may not be, be using it in the same way. Yeah, we saw this program in 2018 and the, the guidelines weren't fully fleshed out. And right. so we ignored it. And then finally in 2020, IRS issued a bunch of guidance and we said, okay, we can go do it. But I think that some of what you said is really important for why we jumped in. We've been buying and renovating properties since 2012. And a lot of what we'd done was a really good fit for what the Opportunity Zone legislation promoted. In fact, some of the properties that we had done over that that eight-year period were in opportunity zones. They just hadn't been designated yet. And they would have qualified under that legislation anyway. And so I think that's important. So what type of properties do qualify? There's three main buckets. So one is called original use. If a property is sitting there, has been vacant for three years, then there's no required amount of money that has to be spent. But if it's been vacant for three years, you just have to go in and reopen it. If it costs you $1 or it costs you $50 million, it doesn't matter. You just have to get it up and running again. That's number one. 
number two is equally simple, which is if you have a vacant piece of land, you have to develop something. I say it's equally simple, but there's some nuance there, right? You're not allowed to do a parking lot. So now can you do industrial outdoor storage? Maybe, right? There's some nuance there. And Mm -hmm. if you want to play within that nuance, you should consult a tax attorney. But building multifamily, building a warehouse, uh, building a hotel, all of that is perfectly within the guidelines. And then the last step is the one where people really get caught up, which is doing a substantial renovation project. So you're buying an existing building and you have to go in and double your basis. Right. And so the way that calculation works is say your purchase price is $2 million. Some percentage of that is land. Mm -hmm. And say that it's $500,000. Now the improvements are a million five. So to double your basis, you have to spend the amount equal to the improvement value at acquisition. So now what you know is you're going to be all into this deal for at least three and a half million dollars. The test, though, allows you to capitalize almost everything. Your legal costs, your interest carry, your management costs during renovation, your CPA expenses. Yeah. Everything Everything. can be rolled in. Engineers, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so that million five can seem like a really daunting number at first, but then when you realize how much can be capitalized and pushed towards that, it becomes more achievable on a lot of projects. Now, there's some that there's just no way that you can ever get there, even if gold plate everything, or it's just not financially feasible. The rents that you can achieve or whatever, it just, the unlevered yield on cost would never make sense to spend that much money. So that's not a deal that you want to do in that structure. So what for you, as someone who's spent the past couple of years, you're very immersed in this and developing, what's like the ideal project for you and your company in Savoy to take on? Yeah, so we've done two major types of projects, which are substantial renovation projects and ground up development. We've done something pretty unique, and I've only seen a couple other people do it, which is we've really focused most of our efforts in one area. And so we said, hey, there's this one area of Dallas that we really like. It's been designated Opportunity Zone. And when we started in 2020, it was blighted. There was a lot of crime. And we bought a critical mass of property in that area. At first, it was eight properties. Then we bought four more. And and now we're up to over 20. But we said, by our efforts in this area, we know that we can change it. Wow. And by the way, because we're the first mover and for a long time we were the only mover, we can buy stuff at a really good basis. And that's going to allow us to do good deals and, and then we can control our own destiny. Yeah, at the, at the highest level, it's we like to do substantial renovation and development deals. Mm-hmm. But drilling down further, we found a lot of success in buying a bunch of stuff in one concentrated area. It makes a huge difference where you can literally change the the area. Imagining, and I don't know too much about the, the specifics of your properties, buying, you're talking about 20 properties, which are all multifamily. So we're talking about several hundred, I don't know the exact number, units where we're 
you know, literally bringing in and hopefully changing a bit the, the demographic, changing, you said it's an area that was ridden with crime. Have you seen over the past couple of years that change, bringing in better quality tenants, allowing people to have a safer place to live? Yes, it's been remarkable. And it happened almost immediately within the first nine months to a year. But now we're three years in and it's, it's very significant. And that's been really neat to see. What I would say is this doesn't, you can't just go into any town in the country and say, well, I'm going to buy these three <laughs> square blocks and it's going to work. So what we had going for us is we're in Dallas, right. we're in Texas. There's a bunch of political tailwinds, governmental tailwinds. There's a bunch of people moving here. And then we were close to a huge new park being built. We're close to downtown Dallas. We're close to a huge restaurant retail hub where every national developer in the country was building uh, big stuff. We're next to a hospital and a bunch of schools and job centers. So was, we're surrounded by all this stuff. And we were just the hole in the donut that like mm. needed to be filled in. And you got to pick your spots, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we found the only spot in the country that happens to be opportunity zone. There's other ones out there. You said there's 80, what did you say? 8,500, 8,700 yeah. spots, lo locations across the country in every state. So you can, if you know, looking into opportunity zones, I'm sure you can pull up those interactive maps and find where there are places in your location. Obviously, there are, is a huge advantage of investing locally, especially since you've been doing it. You, you have a, you know, a company that has you know, boots on the ground. You're able to do that. Uh, have you seen other people who have who've gotten into this, whether in your location in, in the opportunity zones that you focus in or in other places around the country that have failed just because they haven't found uh, the right balance of having the opportunity to do this in the right way. We haven't. Yes. Number one, there's nobody doing what we're doing in, in Dallas and maybe in Texas, as far as sub-institutional opportunity zone deals. Um, almost all of the opportunity zone operators are raising hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars and deploying it at an institutional level. So they want to write 20 to $50 million checks and bill very large properties, right? Several hundred units at a time. And that's how they're deploying their money. And we're really doing it very differently here in, in our projects in Dallas and elsewhere. I've seen other people doing that. Damon Hemmerdinger is doing an awesome deal in Charlotte called Camp North End. A guy named Dave Seberger is doing an awesome deal in Houston in, in Edo. And, and there's others, I'm sure. Dave Gordon is doing a really neat deal in Bozeman, Montana. So there's other people doing stuff that is more towards the sub-institutional, but there's not a hell of a lot of competition in this space. That's awesome. It's a niche. And when you find a niche, you know, the way you say the riches are in the niches, right? <laughs> it I'll tell you about the riches maybe in 10 years. Yeah, right, 10 years, so, five years from now, yeah. right? Exactly. Exactly. But it, it allows you to open up a new investor base as well, because- yeah. You, your people are always seeking ways to defer or eliminate taxes, and this is one of those one of those things that you know a lot of people don't even know exist. I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably have never even heard of this before. The opportunity zones, and now, okay, how can I find out about an opportunity fund, which is what they're called? Right, there's specific rules around that as well. Like everything else in the tax world, you have to follow and be compliant with all the rules that are about involved there. How can someone find out more about 
opportunity zones in general? Are there governmental websites or have you found ways that other people talking about this extensively? Yeah, I don't say that governmental websites are helpful very often, but the IRS has a frequently asked questions page on opportunity zones that's actually fairly helpful. But Novogratic has a good web. Uh, Novogratic is a, a CPA firm and they have a fairly good section on opportunity zones and a, and a primer. I write a lot on Twitter and on LinkedIn about opportunity zones, but there's certainly plenty of at least high level information on the tax structure and how it works out there. Where do you see this is going? Is this something that was set in stone in the tax law and will continue to be that way for, for the, the future? Or do you see the potential changes coming to this? So I do see potential changes coming to it, but I think that they're positive. So in its first three years in existence from 18 to 21, more real estate development happened because of opportunity zones than happened in the first 20 years of the new market tax credits program, another mm -hmm. place-based incentive. So it's really been a successful governmental program. And because of that, I don't see it sunsetting. And so the timelines here are, you're eligible to put money into an Opportunity Zone fund through the end of 2020. Um, the map that we've been talking about right. is disappears at the end of 2028. Mm. Um, and the step up is available through the end of 2047. Okay. But the the first kind of opportunity that it could sunset is at the end of 2026. And I was in D.C. a couple months ago, met with a dozen legislators uh, on both sides of the aisle and overwhelmingly heard support for an extension. I think that the first extension would likely be for two years. In that extension, there would be some some language about giving more information which right now in our OZ tax returns, we really don't tell them much, mm -hmm. even like where are we doing this stuff and what's it creating and how many jobs is it creating and all that. But I think once we do that, that Congress will have more information to show how successful this is. Right. And that would incentivize them to almost make this permanent. I mean, you have to realize 1031 exchanges weren't permanent for, for a very long time. So it will take some time, but I believe that this will be a permanent program. Sure. And, and as you said earlier, this is something that really helps these lower income communities change. It's really making that change, which is incredible. Do you see potentially as data comes in and as the changes are recorded, the maps changing? Because obviously, if you're investing in one place because there's an opportunity, there's a need in that community. And over the course of three, four or five years, so much development has happened that it's it's much more stable, you would think, okay, we need to move on and list other places. Yeah, all the data has been overwhelmingly positive as far as how is this working in these low-income areas. There were headlines early on, hey, this Ritz-Carlton got built, or hey, this billionaire built a ski resort. And, and those things all happen, but it's, those are these edge cases. And the bottom line is over $100 billion of equity so probably several hundred billion dollars of real estate has been built. And all those things were not a Ritz-Carlton and were not a marina and were not a ski resort. That was like a half a percent of the stuff that happened in the OZ right. structure was stuff that wasn't 
It created jobs in low-income areas, so that's good, but it wasn't the purpose of the program. The rest of it is housing and hotels and good stuff. And so I think that's great. But to your point, yeah, the goal of it is to make these low-income areas not low-income anymore. Because the number one thing that has an impact on someone's lifespan is the zip code that they live in. You know, if you make the place that they live better, people are going to live longer and more fulfilled lives. So the goal would certainly be to make that zip code better and then redesignate another zip code as a place that's deserving of investment. And yes, that map will disappear at the end of 2028. And ideally, a, a new map would be created at that point in time. Yeah, that makes sense. Barrett, I'd love to uh, keep going on and on on this subject, but I want to be mindful of your time and our listeners' time as well. So I want to transition to what we call the final four. And these are four questions I ask all my guests. The first question to you is, what's the worst job that you ever had? Sure. So I really wanted to work when I was young. I would get some allowance, I would, but I really wanted independence of working and making my own money. And no one would hire you when you were like 14, 15. But I figured out that Subway down the street would hire you when you were younger than anywhere else. So I worked as a sandwich artist, I think when I was 14. And that was not a great job. (laughs) The guy owned about eight franchises. And I was the only kid. And the other employees he hired because he got, he didn't have to pay him as much. He hired them directly out of prison from halfway houses. Oh, wow. And so my, my coworkers were all directly out of prison and got paid very little. And then over and above that, I would go to work a couple blocks from my house, but then the owner of the franchises would put me in his car and take me to another franchise that like wasn't anywhere near my house. And my dad didn't like that. So, yeah. so I didn't last very long at that job. Yeah, I'm sure that, got that was quite, my worst. Quite an education from your coworkers yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Sure. This was a long time ago, but it's a really cool book that I recommend a lot. It's called Shadow Divers uh, by a guy named Robert Curson. I'm a scuba diver, so I love anything about that. There's very few books that are cool about, like that. Okay. Uh, but Shadow Divers talks about these guys uh, from New Jersey who get on a boat, they go several hours into the ocean, and they dive for World War II treasure, specifically on these old U-boats. And these guys are relentless, and they risk their lives trying to go down and get stuff off these sunken U-boats. Wow. And I think the the biggest takeaway from it is just they're willing to do something specifically because they're just very passionate about it and look into the history of it and go, you know, literally into the deep end in search of this stuff that they want to find out more about. And somehow it resonated with me. Go in, dig in, learn more, and you can figure it out too. Wow. That sounds very intriguing. And that's a huge lesson, right? I think to take that lesson and to apply it to anywhere in your life is is very powerful indeed. What's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? At some point, I would like to learn to fly. I started learning a long time ago and life got in the way. My brother is a pilot for American Airlines and I would love to learn to fly. 
on a little Cessna or something like that. I think it would be a very fun skill to have. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting skill because you can, can do a lot with that. That's pretty cool. Fourth and final question. What does success mean to you? It's hard. The, the goalposts always move, right? And some days that's money. Some days that's, yeah, I just want to spend time with my family. But I, I think ultimately it revolves around family, being able to spend time with them and, and set your own schedule and, and do that. And, and so that's where I land. Awesome. Love that. Love the definition. So important. And family's really everything what it's all about. So I appreciate your time, Barrett. It's really been a pleasure. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? Yeah. So our company website is SavoyaEquity.com, but I'm also very active on Twitter at Dallas Apartment GT and also active on LinkedIn. So any of those spots. Awesome. We will make sure to put all that in the show notes. And again, I just want to thank you for your time and really appreciate the education you bring to, to us and to the, the whole world out there. And I wish you much continued success. Thanks for sharing your platform. I appreciate it, Yonan. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening all the way to the end. Once again, and remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.